This is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a series dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Bakalu. Thank you for joining us on Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. My name is Alex Binfanti. For the next three episodes, we're going to compare Roman Catholic doctrine with Scripture. We will look at justification, the sacrifice of the Mass, and transubstantiation. For this episode, we want to see what the Roman Catholic Church says about how to be saved. For this podcast, I want to get straight to the heart of the issue of the Roman Catholic system. We could talk about many things regarding the Roman Catholic Church. Infant baptism, the papacy, their veneration of Mary, indulgences, purgatory, etc. But we want to look at the big picture. According to the Roman Catholic Church, how can a sinner be in a right standing before a holy God? When we ask the question, how can a sinner be right with God? We are talking about the doctrine of justification. The Bible teaches that justification is an act of God whereby he legally declares a sinner to be righteous in his sight, and he does this by virtue of the imputation of the perfect righteousness of Christ to the sinner's account. When we talk about justification, we are talking about salvation. That is, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be right with God? The essential issue is this. Can I be saved only when I am inherently righteous, meaning I'm actually righteous? Or am I saved when God credits the righteousness of Christ to my account and my sin to his account? The Roman Catholic Church teaches the doctrine of infused righteousness. The Bible teaches the doctrine of imputed righteousness. The difference between these terms can mean eternal life or eternal judgment. For Roman Catholics, they teach that you can be saved only until you are inherently righteous in yourself, with the infusing of righteousness which is mediated through the sacraments. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1992, says this, Justification is conferred in baptism, the sacrament of faith. It conforms us to the righteousness of God who makes us inwardly just by the power of his mercy. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that baptism is the initial means of justification. It cleanses that person of the guilt of original sin, and it makes that person inwardly righteous before God until that person commits a mortal sin, in which case the initial grace of justification is lost and he or she must utilize the sacraments to increase his justification before God. Notice that I'm using the same term, justification, but it means something very different for the Roman Catholic. Roman Catholics can say they are saved by grace through faith in Christ, and they can say that they are not saved by their own good works, but they mean something very different. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2010, says this, since the initiative belongs to God in the order of grace, no one can merit the initial grace of forgiveness and justification. Moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can then merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for the attainment of eternal life. Did you catch that? Grace is merited 
Grace is earned in the Roman Catholic system. But Romans 11.6 says, If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If grace can be earned, it is not grace. For Roman Catholics, God's grace is mediated through the sacraments. The sacraments work ex opere operato, by the working of the work, which means that you have to cooperate with the grace of God through the sacraments to get grace, to get God's righteousness, which is communicated through the sacraments, to increase your justification. Hopefully, by the end of your life, you have enough infused righteousness to enter heaven. But most don't have enough, so they go to purgatory. They will try to use language which suggests that it's all by God's grace through faith in what Christ has done. But how the Roman system actually plays out is very different than what the Bible teaches. If you don't cooperate with God enough to increase your justification through the sacraments, you will end up in purgatory for who knows how long until your sins are atoned for. What does this imply but that the believer's sins were not paid for in full by Christ on the cross? The Council of Trent, Session 6, Canon 24, says this, If anyone says that the justice received is not preserved and also not increased before God through good works, but that those works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not the cause of its increase, let him be anathema. In other words, if you say you are justified once for all time by the accomplishment of Christ, and that your standing before God does not need to be increased or preserved by your good works, you are damned. If you say that the good works you perform are merely the evidence that you are saved, you are damned. The Bible, however, is clear that the sinner can only be made right with God based on the imputation of Christ's perfect righteousness to the believer's account through faith alone, not faith plus works. This is the good news of the gospel. Here's a question that needs to be answered biblically. Does God justify the godly, or does God justify the ungodly? This question is clearly answered in Romans chapter 4. Look at verses 2 through 5 with me. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. God credited righteousness to Abraham's account based not on his own righteousness, but on faith. God justified Abraham while he was still a sinner, so that Paul can say that God justifies the ungodly. In Luke 18, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee actually thanks God for his righteousness. In verse 11, the Pharisee gives God the credit for his own inherent righteousness. Roman Catholics do the same. The tax collector, on the other hand, confesses to God that he is the sinner. From his point of view, and 
undoubtedly from others, he believes that he is the worst of sinners. He is the sinner. But he pleads with God for mercy. What does Jesus say of him? He said, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. Does that mean that the tax collector became inherently righteous in that moment and that he is now righteous in God's sight? Not at all. The text doesn't say anything about inherent righteousness, only that a sinner asked for mercy and he was justified. He was counted as righteous in God's sight. The Roman Catholic will undoubtedly refer to James 2, 14 to 26. And I don't have time to read the whole passage, but I encourage you to pause this video and read the whole thing in its context. The verse that we are interested in is verse 24. It says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, James does not contradict what we just read in Romans. We have to look at the context. Paul, in Romans 4, is referring to Genesis 15, when Abraham was counted righteous in God's sight through faith. James is referring to Genesis chapter 22, seven chapters and many years later, when Abraham offered up Isaac, long after he was counted as righteous before God. But the good works that Abraham showed proved that he had saving faith. The word used here for justify can be translated as vindicated like it is in Luke 7.35 or 1 Timothy 3.16. We can understand it this way. A believer who says he has faith is not vindicated solely by that claim. A true believer will give evidence of saving faith through good works. This is the clear interpretation of James chapter 2. Look at verse 18. It says, I will show you my faith by my works. That is, good works are evidence of saving faith. Verse 26, faith without works is dead, which means that such faith is not true saving faith. You either have saving faith or you have dead faith. Saving faith is evidenced by good works, but faith without any evidence of good works proves that it's a dead faith. The one who truly believes in Christ will give evidence of that faith through a changed life brought about by the power of the Spirit in regeneration. Faith alone justifies, but the faith which justifies is never alone. It's always accompanied by a transformed life. I want to show you from Scripture that it is not those who are inherently righteous who are saved, but those who are credited with the righteousness of Christ are those who have been justified by God. In other words, sinners are saved. Look with me briefly at Romans nine thirty to 32 what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Israel thought that righteousness before God was gained by working for it. But righteousness is given freely to those who have saving faith in Christ. Those who have faith, like these Gentiles, have attained the righteousness which is given through faith. Look a few verses ahead at chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them 
is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Roman Catholics, much like these Jews, are seeking to establish their own inherent righteousness through the sacraments, not knowing that Christ perfectly fulfilled the law in the place of sinners so that he can credit his own righteousness to the account of all who believe in him. Jump to verse 10. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Believing results in righteousness, even the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Philippians 3, 7-9. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The righteousness of God is credited through faith. It is not infused through the sacraments. Faith alone is the basis for the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. What is the danger of thinking that you can contribute even one thing to your own salvation by what you've done? Turn to Galatians 5, 2-4. It says this, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Paul wrote this. Paul himself was circumcised, but being physically circumcised was not the issue. The issue is thinking that you can do even one thing to justify yourself before God. If you try to go the route of law to be saved, you are under obligation to keep the whole thing. It doesn't matter if you even give all the credit to God's grace for your righteousness, like the Pharisee did in Luke 18, verse 11. You have placed yourself under the law in order to fulfill what has already been fulfilled in Christ. And in so doing, you have severed yourself from the perfect work of Christ, who accomplished righteousness on behalf of those who know they are sinners, and for those who trust in his accomplishments alone for salvation. The Roman Catholics may claim that the righteousness which might justify them before God is of grace. The reality is they have placed themselves under the law and they have fallen from grace. God justifies the ungodly. This is good news for those who know they cannot meet the standards of God's law, which is perfect righteousness, according to Matthew 5.48. How is it good news to tell someone that you have to be perfectly righteous in God's sight before you have the hope of heaven. How is that grace? How is that mercy? Romans 5, 
verse 1 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Roman Catholics cannot say this. They cannot know if they have peace with God in the assurance of salvation. For them, they still need to satisfy the holiness of God to enter heaven. And they need to satisfy the justice of God to avoid hell. For Christians, Christ has satisfied both in our place. Our sins were credited to his account on the cross, and he paid for them in full. And his righteousness is credited to our account through faith. This is good news. And we rejoice in the work of Christ for sinners like us. If you have saving faith, you have been justified by God. You have an everlasting peace with God. There is no more condemnation for you. Christ bore it all in your place. And your changed life, your new affections and desires will give evidence that you have already received the gift of salvation merited by Christ alone. Well, there's a lot more that could be said. Join us next time on this podcast where we will talk about the sacrifice, yes, the sacrifice of the Roman Catholic Mass. God bless.